Welcome to the Gen Z Show, the only show dedicated to young leaders and those who work with them to create a positive revolution that will inspire this generation to impact future generations. With your host, James McLean. Welcome to the Gen Z Show. I am your host, James McLam, and I'm here tonight with Sarah Beth McLam, uh, my daughter. How are you doing tonight, Sarah? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am doing really well. Let me ask you this. Do you think that when you were growing up that your mom that that your mom and I thought that you and your brother were crazy when y'all were teenagers? Yeah. Um, I beg to differ. Y'all still think we're a little crazy. <laughs> Well, now you're adult crazy, but do you think most parents or most people think teenagers may have some problems uh, in their mental capacity and they may be crazy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. From teachers to coaches to just bystanders. I mean, I hear it all the time. And like now I say it as like a teacher, uh, you're a teenager, you're just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people, when they think about the teenage years, they really those three words, the teenage years, incite a lot of panic in a lot of them. And, and they really are concerned about all the hormones and craziness that's going on here. Well, our guests today, Jeremy and Joshua Clark, are the authors of this book, Your Teenager is Not Crazy. Understanding your teen's brains can make you a better parent. And I have never seen a more practical book on understanding the mindset of a teenager than this book. This book is amazing on what it does. It breaks down the neuroscience, the, the, the science of the brain of how it's developing during those adolescent years from ages like around 10 and 11 on up to 25. And it breaks it down how they are, uh, what's going on in their brain during that time so that you can understand how to work with your teenager. This is an amazing book, and you're going to love this interview. You're going to love this. Not only are you going to love this interview, you're going to want to buy this book, which you could go to the show notes right now and click a direct link to it. So mm -hmm. do you think this book would have been helpful for your parents when they were growing up, when you oh, were growing yeah. up? Yeah, I see sticky notes in there. Make sure mom gets a copy of that thing. <laughs> copy of yeah, I have a... I have a lot of notes in here that I've been taking on, on this and it's going forward. So listen, I hope you guys are excited about this interview. I know I'm excited about sharing it. So let's go straight to this interview with the Clarks, the author of Your Teenager Is Not Crazy. Guys, I just want to thank y'all for coming to my show today, coming to the Gen Z show. I'm going to admit I am a huge geek fan of your book. Um, right there it is, and my copy of it right there. So there, I've had it for a couple of years now, and I have found it such an invaluable resource for me working with youth. Highly recommend it, and I have countless times recommended it. So thank you guys for joining us today. You're welcome, and thank you for that great introduction and that affirmation. It uh, is encouraging to us because when you write a book, you really pour your heart into it. And sometimes people read it, sometimes people don't. And so the fact that this is encouraging to you is a blessing to us. So thanks for having us on. Thanks for being a, a thoughtful interviewer who's actually read our material. It's There's so many things that uh, are encouraging to us right now. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Not only I read your interview, I went and looked on YouTube and found out about every interview you guys did on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> to go through it again when I first found out it was that much. So our audience heard me and, and my guest host uh, 
introduce you guys in the intro, but they want to hear from you a little bit about who you are and, and maybe your journey. So if you guys don't mind, just share a little bit about yourselves. Sure. For me, I'll, I'll just kick off. Uh, we've been married for 23 years. We're coming up on 24. <laughs> uh, we have two uh, daughters, a 20-year-old. I was going to say two teenagers, but one's 20 yeah. and one's 18. And uh, we're living a full life. One child still in the home, one in college. And um, But we, we've been ministry-minded uh, and involved our whole lives. And so after 30 years of working in the church, we now continue to work with the church by uh, caring for pastors and ministry leaders. And so I'm the president of a ministry called Standing Stone. Uh, we currently have uh, about 200 pastors on our team that wow. are across the nation who care for and minister to pastors because we believe, uh, you know, in a healthy church. So our whole purpose is to guide ministry leaders into healthy ministry and so when I sit across from a pastor or ministry leader, um, I speak their language. I understand the challenges. And so we really uh, have a great opportunity to care for and walk alongside and strengthen the church by uh, strengthening the leaders mm -hmm. who lead it. So that's uh, in a nutshell what we do in ministry. Uh, our, our writing ministry has always been an extension uh, a, a secondary thing to what our real passion is, is to see healthy churches and to help the church grow in advance. And so, but uh, what's really fitting is we spent 17 years working with youth and I was oh, wow. a high school pastor for yeah. 17 years. And uh, if you know the stats on youth pastors, they, you know, the averages, they last about four four or five years now. Mm -hmm. And to go 17 years, I, I've worked at some great churches that supported youth ministry. And, and so that's part of our story of why we, we were teaching on parenting issues. We were teaching youth all the time and it, and it kept leading us into further, further, you know, study and research on how can we parent well. And, and actually, as we entered into those years ourselves, uh, this is where my wife, through an intersection of her own um, health challenges, found this intersection of neuroscience and, and youth and parenting. And, and this is where all this came about. But I'll, I'll kick it over to her. Um, and yeah, because I really want to know how this inspiration for this fabulous book came from. Yeah, you know, it was such a journey. Our daughters were turning 12 and 11, I think, um, when this first came across our plate. You know, I had been asked to do a speaking engagement to a group of moms and just did a little digging and came across this obscure interview with a neuroscientist who talked about the formation of the adolescent brain. And I was very curious and it seemed really helpful, but it was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out there. And so I just started pulling on that thread, James. And it was like so much started coming out and while our daughters were going through this exact process of adolescence and growing, I was learning all this and wanting to put it into practice. And then fast forward about three years later, um, our editor at Baker Books was just like, 
more people need to hear this. This is definitely, we got to get this out here. And so it was such a joy because it really came out organically. It wasn't this like, I'm going to sit out and, you know, write a book about this. It was the whole journey was very personal and very important to us because we were parents of adolescents. We were working with youth all the time. And someone asked you to come in and teach parents. And that's actually what what spurred this forward. So it came a very practical thing. Mm -hmm. And and Jerusha did some research to go prepare and and talk to this group. And it was so revolutionary because, you know, everything that we had been teaching up until that point in the youth realm with parenting, et cetera, was all about just the raging hormones and the Mm -hmm. the changing times uh, of adolescence. And we were like, what? We had never heard of any of this dynamic of of neural plasticity and pruning and all of this. And it was just, it really turned on lights for us and it created an excitement for the research. That was definitely true. That was thrilling. It was like new vistas and so helpful for what we were facing with our own daughters because it was like, wait, we thought we knew these children and all of a sudden they're acting very differently and speaking differently. And um, so it was a an exciting and um, and really challenging journey because I had to learn a lot of vocabulary I didn't understand. Oh, wow. yes. And, you know, that was wonderful. I, I grew a lot. You know, that's one of the things that, that I found fascinating about the book is the, the science that it's based upon, obviously, but it does challenge a lot of the traditional thinkings mm-hmm. that people had or, and continue to have, let's just don't say have, they continue to have about mm-hmm. youth and, and, and that they're broken somehow or that they, yes. there's, you know, they need fixing. And there's a lot of, a lot of parenting books that people use and they, they got good principles, but they don't seem to understand their brain and, and how it works. So mm-hmm. let's, let's dive into that. Talk about this, this sure. weird thing of a teenage brain. <laughs> Sounds great. Cause I have a 23, one, 18 and and 11 okay. uh, year old currently. So I have been on both sides of it, still right yeah. in the middle of it. And so I geek out on this kind of stuff all the time. And of course, I've been working with you the majority of my life. So it's, but tell me what you were, what was, what was some of that things that, that if you had to tell them in, in just a little bit of time about their youth brain, what would you be telling people? Well, um, so again, when, when we talk about uh, there was, basically a veil that we just didn't understand. Right. And, and so we couldn't look behind the veil. We didn't know to look behind the veil. We didn't know we couldn't look at the brain and assess it. And so we just went based on, um, the current knowledge of the time, the medical, uh, you know, knowledge that we had and, and we did the best we could with it. And the reality is, even with the title, your teenager's not crazy. Most, You're talking about prior to the knowledge, right? We did what we could beforehand. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and my point is, you know, even as uh, we encounter people and they go, "Hey, your teen may not be crazy," you know, uh, responding to the title of the book, you, but ours ours is. You know, our our teen is crazy, so I don't know what you're talking about. And so I'm not saying you dismiss what we had previously. There's just more information at our fingertips that allows us to recognize that there's this massive reconstruction process going on that God designed Mm -hmm. and that in the design that there are certain things that are predictable 
And when you can predict certain behaviors and certain ways in which the brain will be offline because it's being pruned and updated and, and there's this whole process, if you know that as a parent, that completely changes your perspective on, on how to address your kids. You have, and for us through the whole, I, I would say a theme that's thread throughout the book is this is for us as parents to learn so that we can have greater compassion and understanding of the challenges that they're facing. Now we can understand it. We can say from a distance, we recognize these things are happening. It's very different to live it. Mm. And as hard, as much as I try to remember what it was like at that age and stage of my life, I, I can't relate. The reality is we get removed from it. We see it with our, um, our brains that are fully functioning yeah. and we expect theirs to be there as well. And they're just not, what are the, some of the things you say? You yeah. Learned? Well, just the words that you used, um, like pruning, what does that mean in the course, especially of adolescent brain development? So let's kind of picture it like this in early childhood, the brain is extending into all new directions. Kind of, you know, this is why we say that um, young children are like little sponges because they're just absorbing so much. And it really does look like a tree growing branches. In fact, um, doctors and neuroscientists call this process of spreading out into the world arborization because it's like a tree, yeah. tree-like. Well, starting at 11 for girls and about 12 and a half for boys, the brain moves in a new direction and it starts to clip away unused neural pathways. And this they call pruning. So it means that the brain no longer needs certain things and it needs new ways of doing things. And so that process of trimming away unused neural pathways and strengthening the ones that remain is that dual process of adolescent development. So it's pruning and then what's called myelination. And it's somewhat akin to like going from dial-up internet to high-speed cable. You are, you know, making the brain far more efficient. You're, um, you're directing the brain in ways that it will specialize, especially through adulthood. But that process is kind of like a big fat remodel. And we know how messy and expensive remodels <laughs> are. The before and after is so worth it. But during the middle of a remodel, everybody's pulling their hair out. And that's kind of what adolescence is like. And that's why it's a very challenging but very exciting time frame because the brain is remodeling um, really, you know, in those years between 11 slash 12 and then upwards to 23 slash 25. It's pretty um, extensive process. Well, you just describe what's going on in the brain. You know, you just identified that pruning. I'm uh I grew up on a nursery, so pruning was a part of my lifestyle. And, and when you were thinking that, the very first thing I thought of is the reason, one of the reasons we prune was to promote healthier growth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we pruned back dead. We pruned it to the shape we want, but we really pruned it to promote healthier growth. And, and uh, Well, what it's what really it's called specialization. So, you know, we, we understand use it or lose it, the, the principle use it or lose it. And so the reality is when, someone is young and the, the possibilities and the, the potentials in a young brain, uh, it's all before each individual, each brain has the potential. And so they're exposed to so many different things, but as they get older, the things that they really focus on starts to get specialized. And so you trim back and say it's piano and this young person just continues to strengthen those 
connectivities and they hardwire really all that training and year after year that becomes hardwired into them. They have this is so if they only pay attention to it a little bit, they they discard it. They don't pay attention. They quit that. That's the kind of stuff that can get pruned away. Mm -hmm. And that's why we talk about in the book. Um, it's so important to let your child have lots of different experiences with mm -hmm. art and music and and I mean, even different kinds of things and activities like sports and bike riding. And because, again, as a child develops, these different aspects of who they are um, helps them get well-rounded, but it also allows them to get specialized as their brain begins to prune and become more efficient. So, again, Jerusha already mentioned this idea of going from dial from dial up Internet to high speed Internet. And the same is true. It's like. Uh, picture a, a field and you keep walking the same path every day, pretty soon it's it's carved out and it's goes from it, there's no pathway here. Now there's a clear path to then it's cemented and then it's become a well-used pathway. And this is part of the way which we're designed, how we become specialized as adults. Speak some to the to the two parts of the brain that are developing in youth, um, and and there's an analogy that you have in the book that I, that I'd love. I'm sure I just prompted it up very well because you know what you're talking. I'm talking about. So uh, speak to those things because I think parents misunderstand where their child should be in development because mm -hmm. of what you just said. They're thinking of it. They're looking at it. Oh, these are little adults. Right. Which they're not. I mean, it's a traditional viewpoint. We actually can look back and to see it. Writings of, you know, the, of 100 years ago, pictures of 100 years ago, they were treated as little adults. Mm -hmm. And there's some aspect of it the, because of the way culture has changed more from being a rural farming based economy to, you know, now not as much that that uh, those their development may be be slowed a little bit there's some argument for that but let's speak a little bit on those two different points i'm getting all over no. a tangent here no no actually that's not a tangent it's really important because um sociologically what we see is that higher education and i'm talking also high school not just education in in university and beyond mm -hmm. but the fact that we have access to education longer actually keeps a window of the brain being able to grow longer. So it's an exciting wow. thing that we're at this time. Yeah. Sure. And so that's why people say, oh, you know, adolescence just made up. It doesn't exist. And I said, no, it's a gift. It's a gift from God that we don't have to cement our brains too early because right. it means there's so much possibility. And in fact, parents who may have listened to Jeremy and go, wow, great. I didn't give my kids all those possibilities in, in early childhood it's never too late because adolescence is an open window. Um, it's called a window of neuroplasticity, which means the brain can still be formed. It's not mm -hmm. cemented in. So it's actually a gift that we have this um, opportunity. I think what you're referring to with the two parts of the brain are the emotional brain and the cognitive brain. Do I have that right, James? Okay. Yes, I am. So one of the analogies that we use in the book is that um, a teenager's brain is like a car with, is that where you're going? I yeah. love this. I love this. I have stolen it and yeah. repeated it probably wrong a number of times you know, yeah. and like, had to go back and say, hey, did I get that right? <laughs> like a car with a really hot accelerator and not so great brakes. <laughs> so um, a 
if you can picture a brain like a hand, this is what we can't do in the book is kind of give these visual displays. But if you're listening, just imagine a fist and your fist closes over your thumb and the cognitive portion of your brain, the portion that helps you to have judgment and forethought and executive thinking, that's all called your prefrontal cortex, it's kind of uh, like represented by your fingernails here. But underneath there is a portion of the brain called your limbic system that controls your mood, your emotion, also dials in things like your appetite and your mm -hmm. um, like a woman's menstrual cycle. And so it's a very important part of your brain. During adolescence, this comes online very early. So we're talking 13, 14, 15 years old, super hot emotions. And what happens is instead of the executive functioning keeping a lid on that emotionality, a lot of times teenagers are walking around with their lid flipped and their emotions are running hot. They don't have the braking system of the prefrontal cortex. And so you see a lot of these reactions that really as adults, we're thinking, just get a grip on yourself or, you know, what's your problem or take five, you know, calm down. When really, if we understand neuroscience, we can start helping them treat their limbic system. Like here's a very practical, for instance, the limbic system is created to, to follow a really specific arc. If you don't put emotional, you know, um, logs on the flame, any feeling will die out in about 90 seconds. You, we just tend to put a lot of fuel on the flame, both adolescents and ourselves. So when things start to get hot, we tell parents, go get a drink of water, you know, tell your, um, your child, you're going to go to the bathroom. Those kind of things take about 90 seconds and come back to it. And your emotion will not be running as hot and hopefully neither will theirs. Well, and don't miss that. I mean, that's been so insightful for me personally, as a dad, you know, whatever emotion I'm feeling 90 seconds, you know, will rise and fall. I won't feel this way in 90 seconds. In if, if I don't, don't yeah. <laughs> if I don't keep adding fuel to this, I keep throwing, you know, more and more wood on that fire, I mean, it will dissipate. And so I think a lot of times there's just these heated moments. Can you imagine you you you're as a parent expecting, you know, respect, you're expecting follow through, you have rules that you've placed out, and then you don't understand why your kids don't follow through because they're running around. Uh, living their life via emotion, their emotional brain, not they're not using their prefrontal cortex, which is discernment. I just met with a, a dad for lunch. I just before this this um, uh, you know recording, and he likes to meet with me every month. He's gone through the book and he wants to ask questions. He has a 13 year old, and he said, "I I have to process with you because I don't think I handled it really well," and he said. You know, we, we sat down at McDonald's and she wouldn't scoot over to let her brother sit down. They have two different siblings. Why won't, why are you being so selfish? Uh, she wanted to insist on getting fries. We were just going to get ice cream. And when I finally just, we get everything, she's unwilling to work with her brother to, to let him move over into the sun because they were all in the ocean. They were wet and they were coming back home and they wanted a treat. And and things just de devolved really quickly where they're like, as a daddy goes, everyone just go to the car. As parents, we, we understand these moments. Mm -hmm. Yes. He did, not he did compose himself ultimately, but the reminder for him that here's his daughter uh, working out of emotionally 
considering the, the scenario, not thinking how it's going to react by uh, mom and dad. And, and here's the here's the kicker. When he had everyone go to the car, she walked by and called him childish. And it's like, as, as a parent, yeah. you, you, that's an emotional response. And so for us as parents, like if we're expecting omi, om, um, immediate obedience, so when our kids are young and there's concrete thinking, we expect black and white, we expect them to uh, obey us immediately because if they don't, they could run into the street. They could put their hand on the, you know, the stovetop. They can get hurt. So we expect that we need that. But as they grow up and they start to develop this abstract thinking, which we talk a lot about in the book, they're no longer black and white. They're challenging the world around them. They're challenging the world around them and they're challenge challenging uh, their parents and the way their parents parent and, and view life. And so if we expect that to be a part of our dailiness in our parent interaction with our kids, we will be less likely to fly off the handle ourselves. Yeah. It's <laughs> so one of the no, things we I, say. <laughs> I got to hop on that because I think there might be people out there going, well, that young woman needs a kick in the rear, you know, for calling <laughs> selfish or childish rather. And we correct bad behavior. The, totally. the book does not say we tolerate inappropriate adolescent behavior, but we also get at what's behind it because what's behind it is her feeling that she didn't have a say in what was going on. Now she may not have the vocabulary to articulate what she wanted. And it truly may just have been selfish, but what is going on in the adolescent brain is not necessarily her, it's not her fault what's happening. She is exerting autonomy. She's learning how to say, you know, set her own boundaries. Like I wanna sit in the sun, but she's not doing it in an adult way. And so if we just look at the surface and say, you know, you're acting out, you know, and punish the behavior, then we miss the opportunity to teach. And here's the opportunity that was presented there for our friend to say, you know, I recognize that this is not what you want right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to let your brother sit in the sun and let's figure out another situation for you. And when she calls him childish to be able to say, I hear that you're frustrated with this situation. I wanna talk about this when we get home so I can really understand what you mean by that. That's so disarming. And a teenager then they're like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, now I'm going to have a talk with dad or whatever, but it's not emotional flying back to her. So often we just react like, you can't call me that. You can't talk to me that way. And we're just on their level then. We're just the emotional brain has taken over versus we are capable with the brains that are fully formed and have, um, you know, executing functioning to be able to go back into those situations and actually address what's happening. So we've given some tips. You, you gave me some tips on what, how a parent can react to a situation like that. What are some tools that we can provide for the youth that are going through that oh, so that they scary. can help? Because I'm thinking, you know, a parent's like, okay, a lot, I, everything you're saying is about how I need to react. And yeah. as, as we mature as parents, we realize it is a whole lot more about how we respond and yeah. how they respond. But by the time you figure that out, most of the time your kids are out of the house. Yeah, uh, there's a point. lot of truth in that. And then you're able to look at the grandkids if you, mm -hmm. if you get them. In, and that's why grandparents are so much better at this thing, I think, than parents, because they understand it from the other mm -hmm. side. But well, how do we help yeah. kids? 
I'm sorry. Part of what we, no, no, please. Um, I just was thinking so fast about what you were saying that it started um, reminding me of this whole idea of providing for um, youth. And I'm not just talking about teenagers here, even up to 24, 25, mm -hmm. providing an emotional palette for them. When you're young, you paint with very few colors and they're often kind of garish colors. They're very, you know, limited. But as we grow and as we change, we need to expand our emotional palette and our emotional vocabulary so that we can start painting and thinking and speaking and responding with nuance. And right now, what we see with a lot of parents is they're allowing their conversation with their young people and um, those of you who are listening who are you know, in that adolescent age bracket, the conversations are shrinking to very few mm. words and they're not really getting at the richness of what's going on in life. Cause it's hard. It's hard to open a space for someone to say things that are going to make us really uncomfortable. But as parents, it's our responsibility and it can even be our joy to help them develop that emotional palette and the responses to things. So Jeremy and I talk about that, like leaving the table set. You know, when you're setting the table for a meal, you put down the plate and the forks and the, you know, you have the drinks and the napkins and this and that. Well, when we talk about setting a table, it's an invitation for anytime, anywhere, our adolescent to sit down and try out some of these new things. Mm -hmm. They are going to have to go into adult life and figure out how to interact in a ton of different ways. And they need practice with us. So in the example that Jeremy gave, you know, it would not go over so well if that young woman grew up and told her boss at work that he was childish, right? That's a very <laughs> poor, a poor option. So that dad, our dear friend, has an opportunity to teach his child ways to respond to a frustrating situation that don't involve sarcasm or devolving into anger. So I think that's really, you know, opening up possibilities. Like, how else could we have handled that situation? What were you really feeling and meaning? Well, you took his side instead of my, you know, it's opening that opportunity mm -hmm. for this person to really start painting with more um, nuanced and broader colors in their life and in their conversation. I would say also that the child-parent relationships, a, a tense one, a loaded one, right? Where, you know, being an advocate of having mentors and mm -hmm. for me being in the church, as long as I have, we, we always wanted someone who was just a little bit further down the road than you were, that I was, that I could run things by and I could process with, and I may not feel as comfortable to bring these things up to my parents, which if you're a teen and you're listening, one of the best things you can do is learn to express yourself to, even if you say, Hey, this is really uh, not completely formed in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I may not say this right, but can I process some things with you, mom? Mm -hmm. Can I process some things with you, dad? I, I, I'm, I'm feeling aspects um, of our home life that are challenging. Can I, can I process with you? Can I tell you a little bit more? But if that's not the, the most comfortable, if that's not accessible, if there's not an um, openness to that, then I would say is there a, a respected uh, church leader? Is there, you know, mm. in the world we've lived in, you know, I would have teams of, of college age, mm -hmm. uh, vetted, mature, mm -hmm. uh, young adults who I would say, Hey, you know, follow them as they follow Christ and process some things. Don't be alone. 
And right now that really, especially if that's you teenager who is isolated on your phone, you have to make some shifts. You may, you need to make some, some strong shifts because Mm -hmm. your phone will isolate you more and more and more and more. Whereas I would say, be intentional to be healthy, set that down, make appointments with some people that you can meet with, go to Mm -hmm. coffee with, that you could process with, and, and you can grow alongside with Mm -hmm. and bring Mm -hmm. and process with, because Mm -hmm. don't be alone, don't go alone. And if you feel too um, nervous to bring it up with your parents, now I tell you, um, it's worth the risk Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. something, and this is, I'm going to grab this real quick because it's something that's really important (laughs) in our lives. And we've been in our home and with our kids living in the andness of life. I didn't know he's going to pick this up. This is all like, <laughs> I'm like, what's he getting? But but it's so it's so practical because true. the truth the truth is my parents did the best they could. Yeah. And this is the andness of life. And they did some things that hurt me. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Both are true. Yeah. And sometimes we feel like it has to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And for me, wow. as a parent, I was really struggling with my my oldest who was challenging me and I was trying to defend that I did things right in her life. Well, the truth is, as a parent, take comfort in this because it's really comforted me. I did the best I could with my kids and I did some things that hurt them. Both are true. And I'm pressing into that to learn and to lean into that messiness and it allows me to explore. It allows me to grow. It allows me to continue to say, hey, where, where are the places in my life that I can keep encouraging? And I would say this book obviously is mostly for parents to say, hey, show compassion, grow. It's our job with the pre we're, we're you know, we've got our fully functioning brains, hopefully. And, and we're, we're the mature ones. <laughs> my wife might question that with me sometimes. But... <laughs> Well, I, it's I, the end. It's the end. Our functioning end. Yeah, there'll be times at dinner where my wife will look at me and go, "Are you're just still a junior?" <laughs> I'm like, "Guilty as charged." So, so when we live in the endness of life, and and for kids to understand this too, that your kid, you as a kid, as a young kid, your parents are doing the best they can, and they're doing some things wrong, and how do we press into that, and how do we? express ourselves and grow. And these are some of the things that we can do to, you know, practice, but you know, yeah. you want to mention shorter conversations and. Oh yeah. That that's was such a practical thing for us to learn um, because of the way the brain is forming during adolescence, long conversations are not effective. The brain mm. can't take in the same amount of information. And so what we learned as we were looking at these different aspects of the of the brain was that shorter, more frequent conversations are better. And you can tell this because you may have had um, someone say to you, why are you going to rant? Why are you lecturing me? You know, um, it's better to drop the pebble in and let the ripples go out. And then when the, the water has stilled again, drop another in those frequent and short conversations stick better in the adolescent brain than the really long ones do. So that's just since we're seeing attention span diminish. You are so right about that. So dramatically in the last two decades with the advent of technology, you know what it's shorter than a goldfish in some instances. Yeah, they say it's about as long as a click. That's the attention span of most of average Americans now deciding whether click away or stay. It's pretty crazy. 
Do you, you, you mentioned earlier about the 90 seconds, which was a great, I was thinking about how my wife used to handle our oldest, you know, go, go to the bathroom. I'll meet you there in a while. And mm -hmm. she would go cool herself down. Mm -hmm. Does the 90 seconds also, is that a great tip for a youth to kind of settle when they're faced with a temptation? So I think, uh -huh. wow, cause I was thinking back to my, when you said that the first thought that came to my mind was, if I'd have thought the 90 second, that time, you know, that I got in the car and said, Hey, I may need to go a little faster here. Uh, or, you know, all those different times where I probably needed 90 seconds. Does that work? How can we no, help that? It absolutely, um, we, you know, we gave that to parents in the book again, because the audience was more about those who were, you know, walking alongside, but 100%, if you are a Gen Z um, person listening to this, take those 90 seconds, just to, even if you don't think, just to allow the emotion of it to come down, because we think we have to solve it in 90 seconds. No, we just need to let the heat turn down a little bit. Um, you know, Jeremy and I both made some foolish decisions in our adolescent years that could have been significantly changed if we had chosen not to get mm -hmm. in the car or if I had not, you know, chosen to put the gas pedal down so, you know, hard in that car. Um, that 90 second rule is so and that it doesn't just necessarily go away as we get older. Um, they, that's a pause that allows us to really have the space between reaction and response. A reaction just looks at a situation and makes a, an immediate decision. A response is measured. A response allows the pause and that's that's where wisdom comes in. So what a, what a tension that we have. We have youth that are do not have the attention span more than a click and yet we are in, we want them to learn the discipline of pausing before they make a decision. Absolutely. That's that's going to be a uh, that's going to take time and effort. Uh, yeah, and patience. Practice. You know, practice is the is the key there. We train ourselves to do all kinds of things. You know, we train ourselves to, you know, play a video game really well. And we have snap reactions to things. You know, my big thing was Tetris. I, I know there are some <laughs> Tetris folks out there. And, you know, that that fast reaction of deciding which place to put the, the shape I trained myself to do that so much so that I would fall asleep and see Tetris things, you know, like falling before my eyes as I was going to sleep. So I was maybe a little obsessed with it. Um, but all this to say that we can train ourselves to pay attention to things too. We may have the default of a short attention span, but if we practice, it does shape our brain. Like Jeremy said, Neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more that you allow that firing to happen of taking 90 seconds, taking 90 seconds, it will wire into your brain and you'll be better able to do that. So it really does come down to practice. It does. What's interesting, and for the teens that are listening right now, I, I would just ask you, do you feel better having spent hours and hours online staring at your phone or do you do you not feel great i mean if you really pause long enough to do some self-evaluation do you feel better uh, on social media and in um, mm -hmm. that kind of time well how do you break out of that how do you make some small shifts mm -hmm. to where you can set some limits and you can begin to explore different ways to engage in life it's really important because you know if you just project forward uh, some years from now, 
you're developing habits and you're hardwiring your brain to, to stare for hours at social media posts just or TikTok videos one after another after another. And, a, and how many times do you have to see the same TikTok video before you're you know satisfied with it? There's just it's creating this unending hunger for this endless dive into the Internet. Whereas if you can recognize one, ask for uh, help, you know, I, uh, mm -hmm. this is a this is maybe a little bit hard for some parents to hear, but our teens are looking at us. Mm -hmm. And if we're always staring at our phones and we're sleeping with our phones right next to our beds and we're constantly distracted by our mm -hmm. phones and we're not putting down the phone to have a, a, a conversation, we're not modeling to our children what it looks like to, to have a, a mm -hmm. undistracted uh, conversation in life right and so there's some real aspects of as a parent like come in the house set the phones down have a have a meal without the phones how it to when our girls um, especially our youngest got into high school uh she didn't have an iphone uh she was more like the flip phone flip phone mm -hmm. technology like not smartphone and she came home and her her teacher was making fun of her. Her teacher, not wow. her, her teacher. Wow. Her do adult your, teacher. Do your yeah. parents not love you? Is literally what they he asked her. And the reason I bring that up is because, okay, in the reality of we live in this day in this era uh, where this is a reality, and and you could almost feel like you're Amish to not give your kids yeah. a phone. Like mm -hmm. you are so countercultural, and some are choosing to do that. And I definitely say wait as long as you can, but this is a reality. So how do you model and teach the right kinds of behavior? And again, keep that table set for those short conversations mm -hmm. to help where you can yeah, and, and to step true. in. Mm -hmm. So true. Des describe in the time we have remaining the, the format for the book, because I mm -hmm. that is one of the things that I love the most is the way that the chapters are composed together. It, mm -hmm. Describe how you came about that and, and how yeah. that is an asset for parents. Well, these were such complex issues, but we wanted to make them as accessible as possible. So we thought, let's kind of, you know, put them into almost like college introductory courses. So every mm -hmm. chapter you have a bio 101 section that talks about a particular neurological change or dynamic in the teenage brain. And then you have a psych 101 section that interprets a teenager's behavior and actions as a result of that change that happens in the biology. That section will also provide some tips for how do you respond and navigate that particular dimension. And then the final section is how does that interact and how does that um, you know, fit together with faith? Because this journey is a body, mind, spirit journey. So we have Bio 101, Psych 101, and Faith 101. And then every chapter finishes with a try it today. And it's a really small practical thing that you can try hopefully that very day because we don't want you to feel overwhelmed by everything that you're learning. The, the book has 26, 27 chapters. They're, these are very complex things, but trying it today allows you to put one thing into practice. And then you can go back and start looking again at that Psych 101 section and say, okay, now I want to try this. Like one of them is don't let your you know child um, hear your voice as an alarm bell. You don't want your, your teenager to associate your voice with trouble is coming. So it's like, how do you adjust? Those are the kinds of things that the chapters will outline. Every chapter is titled 
according to something you might hear your teenager say. So um, you, you should you might say hear... it's titled according to something you will not like, good yeah. will. You know, like leave me alone or you know um that's not all i think about or you know i can't you know i can't i it's all these things that just um we felt like it would help parents if they went through each of these things by body mind and spirit and so that's how we organize and it, it is interesting we've had teens reach out to us and say they've read it and and engage their parents because it's been so insightful for them what? even though our our focus we wrote towards parents it's very insightful for a teen to be able to know what's going on in their own brains mm -hmm. and i would say uh, this is becoming more prevalent in even schools being taught i mean so there's more of a, an awareness of this mm -hmm. there's a lot more talk of the you know this science mm -hmm. but this really unpacks it and just like you said and you started out this interview it's it's like it does it in a, a very practical way in which um they can understand themselves better and even yeah. engage with their parents potentially better. yeah we've really thought about you know having a companion volume just for the people that are in this situation because even since we read the book it, there's just been so much that's come out, particularly with regard to technology, because that's forming our brains right. in so many ways. Um, and some of them we understand and some of them we don't. Um, you know, science is trying to keep up with the progress of technology and it's just um, changing us. It, it really is. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe that's something in the future that we'll get to get around to writing. Um, but it's just it's a great journey to be on, to put these things into practice. And we just encourage you, if you're listening, don't give up. It's hard, but it's so worth it to keep pressing in, to keep um, opening that window, to receive the opportunity that you have um, with your body, mind, and spirit as your team grows. I love what you said, Jeremy, about the and, that you do mm -hmm. some things right and you did some things, they did some things wrong. And, and I think, uh, if we had anything to share to parents that are listening is, is don't get yourself down yeah. on the things you did wrong so uh, true. because the brains are, you know, they're, they're forming and they're impressionable. They can recover from those missteps as long as those missteps are done really out of a heart of love. Uh, Absolutely. I think it's when the missteps are out of vengeance or out of anger or out of hostility mm -hmm. uh, that that's where we get the, deep psychological problems that can carry him to life. At least that is my perspective on it. But if we are making mistakes, but you're doing it from a heart of love, they're going to recover for it. Mm -hmm. They're going to, they're going to, they're, they'll, it, it, all things work together for good. Yes. Um, yes. How can our audience connect with you guys? We have a website, um, www.jandjclark.com. Um, the book is available anywhere books are sold. So, you know, any of your online retailers, um, it's in brick and mortars as well. But, you know, we have a link there for you to reach out if you have particular questions. And, you know, we continue to do things like this so you can learn more alongside us. Well, guys, I am excited about uh, being able to share this uh, with my audience. I I'm just, this, again, I, I have... I am so I was so happy the day I got the interview, uh, the email back uh, from you guys responding that you, that you were available. Uh, that my wife thought you know we had won some money or something. I was screaming out of my office. Sorry, says, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Oh, sorry, but for me it was because of this and 
And I really, I highly recommend this. And so thank you guys uh, for your time today. I really do appreciate it. You're thank welcome. you for having thanks. us. Yeah, thanks a lot, yeah. James. And listen, to our audience, thank you for joining us today. I know that someone that each one of our audience knows needs to hear this interview. You need to watch it. You need to hear it. And so like, comment, and share on this. And we'll see you again next week on the Gen Z. Thank you for joining us on the Gen Z Show and being a part of our community. Please subscribe to our channels on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Follow us, too, on Instagram and Facebook to get weekly updates. Until our next show, have a blessed day.